Hello and welcome to Potter Not, a podcast for those with conflicted Harry Potter feelings and for those who have absorbed Harry Potter through cultural osmosis and want to dive into the good and the bad. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a fledgling fan. I'm Zoe, she, her, and I am a jaded fan. I am Adela, she, her, a fan in crisis. We read some more book. (laughs) We read some more book. (laughs) We read chapter four, Flourish and Blots, chapter five, The Whomping Willow, and chapter six, Gilderoy Lockhart. We sure did. Uh, The start of chapter four is, if you will remember from our last episode, I was very excited about the description and how charming and wonderful it is of the burrow. Uh, mm-hmm. That continues at the beginning of Flourish and Blots, and I just wanted to mention yes. how wonderful it was. It is, again, a very good, very good description. Very evocative. Love the burrow. Oh, <clears throat> I did not put this in our rundown, but I would like to now read. So in they get their Hogwarts lists, which includes the Standard <laughs> Book of Spells, Grade 2, by Miranda Gotthock. And now I will read every title of the <laughs> seven by Gilderoy Lockhart. Break with a Banshee. Gadding with gowls, holiday with hags, travels with trolls, voyages with vampires, wandering with werewolves, and year with the yeti. By Gilderoy These are like Lockhart. Literally, like junior fiction series. I was titles. gonna say, like this is like some. <laughs> this is like the Magic Treehouse, like yeah. book. Like that's what. Yeah. It's... Before we dive any deeper, we do have a little bit of a rundown of things that we wanted to discuss. But E, do you have any like overarching <laughs> thoughts as the new reader here? Um. Not as strong feelings as last time. Okay. Uh, this is definitely more... We've left the Dursleys. We're getting back into sort of the the standard progression of, like, each chapter is sort of its own little mini arc, almost. Um, it's all very whimsical. Like, I don't know. It's This is more light reading. Yeah. Than, than the first three chapters were. Hey, we meet Percy. We meet Percy. Very, very briefly. He's been holed away in his room sending letters for some reason. For some reason. <laughs> he seems very stressed. This becomes important later. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, poor Ginny. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait for Ginny to have a personality other than teenage obsession with Harry Potter. She will. She will, but it takes a little while. I cannot wait to meet like, who she actually is. Like, really, like, ha- back half of book four, post-Christmas, mm-hmm. she has much more of a personality, and she is present and has a personality in book five and beyond. Yes. Shout out to the one line. Um, she dived under the table to retrieve the bowl and emerged with her face glowing like the setting sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just really mm-hmm. like that metaphor. That yes. Emily, I like that comparison. It's good. It is good. It also... Um, I love that I love the whole fact that Weasleys like fit together very well as a family. But one of the things that I like is that they all have a lot of the same sort of features amongst them. Yes. Um, so Ginny and Ron both turn like neon red. When they're embarrassed. <laughs> when they're yeah. embarrassed. Ron's ears turn neon red, and you'll notice that later on Percy's ears do the same thing. Yeah. Like she's got a good handle on on the family dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Um a poor family. We should probably talk about that. Yeah. Um, so, right out the the long list of Hogwarts books, um, which are required. So the library world is full of acronyms. Um, open and affordable resources. Mm, open course. educational resources. OER. Um, okay. Open educational resources, which is sometimes OAER, I guess. Open and affordable educational resources, which is like. Libraries partnering with professors to make textbooks part mm-hmm. of reserves so that students have to buy, don't have to buy them or like finding online versions of things like there is none of that at Hogwarts. I mean, but like, OK, I was thinking about this reading this. First of all, at least a couple of the Weasleys could share the same set of Lockhart. Right. They all have to buy the same ones. Also, Ginny could have all of her books could just be from her brothers. Yeah, they all could have been passing them down the whole time. Like they right, only and they one don't. set of books, really. <laughs> this is part of the thing that I was talking about last time. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, so I was homeschooled in the U.S. I didn't have the U.S. public school experience. Do students these ages 
have to buy their own books? Not in Canada. <laughs> it depends on the... So first of all, the answer is it depends. Okay. Just flat out. It depends on the school's funding, on the teacher's funding, on how long the school has been in existence and how much they've built up. These are middle school students, so I guess I'll talk about my middle school and high school. Both my middle school and high school experience was of like a well-established school district that had existed for a long time and used to have a ton of money and now had some. And so there was a lot of resources that were built up. Um, mm. So like we were given textbooks in middle school, but so that I didn't have to haul them back and forth from school. This like people always forget that like the millennial generation, there were all of these articles when we were entering high school about how we're all going to have deformed backs because of how many oh, books yeah. we had to carry around. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, yeah. and now we're the generation that doesn't want to do any work. Like you can't have it both ways. Right. So first <laughs> of all, there's that. And second of all, like that was a real concern at my middle school to the point where we would weigh each other's backpacks. I was specifically remember trying to lift Oh, man, I remember doing this in high school, too. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> did this with my high school friends. So my parents did purchase textbooks for me to keep at our house. And we bought them used and sold them used. So like yeah. it was net positive or net nothing, right? In yeah. high school, we were lucky enough because we had existed for long enough that we had just like a library of textbooks yeah, that's that were handed as- around. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the British school system was like. We should probably ask Bo when we get her onto the podcast in a couple episodes. But yeah. this seems extreme. And also, I agree. Why are the Weasleys not just handing around and down this set of books? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's got to be a copy-paste spell where you can just, like, we have fucking scanners. What do they have? Why can't you just, like, have <laughs> one for, like, the fucking Gryffindor common room that's yeah. basically a reserve, right? Anyway, yeah. it seems like it's so entrenched, like maybe it's Hogwarts rules or something. Or it's just stuff that she didn't think about. <laughs> it's really. stuff that she didn't think about, right? Like, you're not allowed to have any animal other than a cat, a toad, or an owl, right? Except for Ron, who's allowed to have a rat. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those, like, do you want to go for the Doyle or the, whole, or the Watson explanation? Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. For those who aren't familiar, that's a common dichotomy in, like, literary i don't know if it's used in like real literary analysis but i see it a lot in fan meta where the watson explanation is the in-universe in canon explanation Uh, for something and the doyleist is like well here's the reason because of the author or the creator yeah and this is referring Mm -hmm. to arthur conan doyle author of sherlock holmes whose partner is watson john watson watson is the in-fiction writer yeah, yeah, and there is definitely a Doyle versus Watson situation happening with these books because the in-universe reason is that, like, Hogwarts requires that and every student has to have their own, et cetera, et cetera. And so, therefore, the Weasleys have to spend all of this money on copies and they can't get them used, right? Like, these are new books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I and understand so, why they can't get the Gilderoy, the Lockhart books used because they're new books. But So Fred caught his mother's eye and quickly busied himself with the marmalade. That lot won't come cheap, said George, with a quick look at his parents. Lockhart's books are really expensive. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, this is, this is an ongoing issue. It's, it's a big concern, yeah. Uh, they also mention when they use the flu powder. That, that they're going to have to buy more. Yeah, that that's low on supply. Like, Yeah, I mean, like, the poverty thing is going to be a thing throughout this whole book, so we should probably move on a little bit because we're going to come back to it later yeah. with, like... It does come back multiple times in these chapters, like when Draco is making fun of them, that's a common thing that he mm-hmm. returns to. Like at least twice in these chapters. And his father too. Yep. I do enjoy the description of Errol, the Weasley family <laughs> owl. This who... poor owl. Let him rest. <laughs> a molting gray feather duster. It's so funny because he's described as that in this first book and he's still in the rest of the books. Like, he's still working. He's still working he's away. He's along. He's a very loyal <laughs> owl. Yeah. He's like a deeply loyal owl. Um, Is Errol, like, old or just worn out? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's described as being old, but I suspect he is prematurely elderly. Yeah. They have so many family members to send letters to. There's a funny bit where Hermione's writing a letter and she says, I'm very busy with schoolwork, of course. And Ron's <laughs> like, what the hell? We're, it's still summer. Yeah. But also, 
there was mentioned that Harry had homework that he was supposed to be doing that he couldn't do because his stuff was in the And cupboard. you actually see that in the right? book three. And yeah. So they uh, do have homework over the summer. Ron is just like, <laughs> we don't need to do homework. It's summertime. <laughs> it's possible that Ron, like in the first week of the summer, was like, I'm getting this fucking done and like do- does it in 10 minutes. That and, does like, not sound very Ron-like to me. <laughs> it sounds Ron-like in that he's still in the school mode and be like, now I don't have to think about it. And I'm going to yeah, do suppose. it slapdash and not think about it ever again. <laughs> We should move uh, on a little bit, We though. should talk about Nocturne Alley. Nocturnally. Yeah. Hang on a second. Yeah. There is a very funny um, Tumblr post that I'm not going to be able to find, which is basically like, how does Harry fuck up <laughs> that badly? <laughs> it makes a little bit more sense in the book because he's like coughing and just like getting bits of the word out at a time. But in the movie, he yeah, literally yeah. just says the other word. <laughs> In the book, <laughs> no, he doesn't. In the doesn't movie, he, he just says diagonally really fast. Oh, he says diagonally. Yeah, and it yeah. sounds like and diagonally, but it doesn't sound like nocturne alley. Well, no, it, I don't. I don't think it's supposed to sound like nocturne alley. It's supposed to sound. It's supposed to make him travel diagonally so that he ends up in nocturne alley. No, because he just goes one great too far. Yeah, I know, but I, I've definitely like one hundred percent think it's just supposed to be the word diagonally, not supposed to be nocturne alley really i always thought it was supposed to be i think he and he fell out of that grate by accident like he wasn't it was because he like it, the flu powder was confused because he didn't say a, an actual place he said a word diagonally i always thought that it misunderstood as nocturne alley because um he only goes one grate too far the way it's presented in the book is like all of the weasels are giving him advice about what to do and what not to do Ron says, don't fidget or you might fall out of the wrong fireplace. Mm-hmm. Then Harry says, like, he says it while coughing. Um, and then he's, like, he's got his eyes closed. Yeah, he doesn't, like, accidentally fall out of anything. The flu powder spits him out. Yeah, that's true. So, I don't know, maybe he did it wrong. Whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it turns out that, um, much like the rest of the Rizzling world... Uh, all dark and evil magic is sequestered into a side alley. Which apparently is enough of it that it, like, there's enough of it and there's enough of these shops to make its own entire side neighborhood. Mm-hmm. This is something that um, has always, uh, so many things bother me about this book. Um, <laughs> this is always, <laughs> this has always bothered me about this book is that, like, and any time you see Nocturne Alley in the future, because... Hagrid is in Nocturne Alley and everyone's like, ooh, what are you doing in Nocturne Alley? And he's like, I'm buying flesh-eating slug repellent. Like, I'm buying gardening supplies. Yeah. It's just a pesticide. Yeah. Like, there's a certain amount of, like, why is that in Nocturne Alley? Why is that considered to be evil? And, like, there's a certain amount of, like, what separates these things and why is there so much superstition when you can just go there and buy gardening supplies? (laughs) Yeah. It does make me wonder, like, who's the customer base for this neighborhood like aside from lucius malfoy why are these places in business like if the if dark arts and dark magic and whatever is so looked down upon like is there really that big of a subculture so in the description he had emerged into a dingy alleyway that seemed to be made up entirely of shops devoted to the dark arts the one he just left borgen and burke's looked like the largest, but opposite was a nasty window display of shrunken heads, and two doors down, a cage was alive with gigantic black spiders. Two shabby-looking wizards were watching him from the shadow of a doorway, muttering to each other. Like, Mm -hmm. I do wonder if it's not very large. I don't think it's very large. It might just be, like, five buildings. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've always imagined. Um, I guess we should talk about the Malfoys, since we're right here. Yeah. So there's a Malfoy speech... Uh, that's very famous in the fandom. <laughs> Harry Potter got a Nimbus 2000 last year. Special permission from Dumbledore so he could play for Gryffindor. He's not even that good. It's just because he's famous. Famous for having a stupid scar on his forehead. Everyone thinks he's so smart. Wonderful Potter with a scar on his broomstick. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a 12-year-old. And then his dad says that he's been, he said this to him multiple times already. You're like, oh, Malfoy, you've been times. talking about Harry. Yeah. You've been talking about Harry all summer, Malfoy. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> It's so good. And you wonder why the fandom was like, oh, no, they like each other. Yeah. I've always found it more believable from Malfoy's perspective than from Harry's. Although until book six, when Harry becomes obsessed. (laughs) Uh, There's a moment in book four that I remember reading and being like, "Mm, okay. Um, (laughs) 
He also has a comment about Hermione Granger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucius has a comment about Arthur Weasley. Like, they're mm-hmm. just going in on it. This is basically a, if you didn't remember book one, here's who the Malfoys are, and here's why you should hate them. Yes. Like, just in these two pages. So, there's a couple of mentions of blood in this chapter. Yeah. In the conversation in Borgen and Burks, Borgen says, wizard blood is counting for less everywhere. And mm-hmm. Malfoy says something like, it doesn't, not, not for me for or me. something. Later, Hagrid says, talking about the Malfoys, bad blood, that's what it is. Yeah, I wanted to mention that. Even Hagrid, who's sort of like one of the good ones mm-hmm. in the sense that like he's always been very sympathetic. Like he's still deep in this culture where blood is everything. Like the person you are is determined by your blood. Yeah. For yeah. good or for bad. Which is probably, without spoiling anything, a thing that he grew up hearing, I'm going to say. Like not just in the context of socialness, but himself personally he probably heard it's being said to him to him yeah should we talk about <laughs> gilderoy locker <laughs> what is your first impression of gilderoy lockhart Please. okay i will preface this by saying i was familiar with the name gilderoy lockhart had absolutely no idea who he would be great like, that is a character that i I knew the name of and absolutely nothing about. You should go and look up who he was played by. Okay, I will. Should I do that (laughs) now? Do that right now. Okay, one second. (laughs) While you're looking that up, I just want to point to um, Percy deeply immersed in a small and deeply boring book called Prefects Who Gained Power. Um, (laughs) Important little uh, foreshadowing. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah. Would you like to (laughs) tell the audience? Perfect casting. Uh, Kenneth Branagh. Mm-hmm. There is no better casting than Kenneth Branagh for Gilmore yeah. Lockhart. <laughs> His autobiography, Magical Me. I'm, I'm trying to think of another fictional character to compare him to. I know there is one. Like, I know I have a comparison somewhere in my head, but I'm not coming up with it. There's a few but... floating around in various pieces of literature. Yeah. Um, but, like, the self-centered... Yeah, absolutely, like, shit-eating, self-centered, I'm famous and I know it, and attractive, and I know it. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. all of the women are, like, simpering over him. There are multiple jokes about um, both students and middle-aged women fawning over Lockhart. Oh, and poor Harry, who gets, like, pulled into this hole. Yeah, ugh, the beginning of Harry's horrible year of <laughs> being exploited by immediately latches onto harry yeah and like throughout these chapters lockhart is like oh you shouldn't have done that harry take it from me here's what being famous is about but like lockhart is locking onto harry's fame yes Mm -hmm. in this moment yeah and the things he's chiding harry for are things that harry is not doing yep (laughs) and they're things that lockhart would totally do yeah (laughs) so uh, before we get into the fact that uh, preteens are idiots in the next chapter regarding <laughs> flying cars, Lucius Malfoy and Arthur Weasley get into a fist fight. They mm-hmm. just brawl. I love the image, the mental image of Hagrid just like hooking each of yes. them behind the collar and hauling them apart. It's a it's a great image. I love that when wizards are mad, they brawl. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, they don't pull out their wands. They just. I feel like if Malfoy had attacked first he would have pulled out a a wand but arthur just went for it (laughs) there was a thud of metal as Ginny's cauldron went flying mr weasley had thrown himself at mr malfoy knocking him backward into a bookshelf dozens of heavy spell books came thundering down on all their heads there was a yell of get him dad from fred or george (laughs) mrs weasley was shrieking no arthur no the crowd stampeded backwards knocking more shelves over gentlemen please please cried the assistant and then louder than all break it up there gents break it up and it was hagrid even leading up to that, though, the, the scene leading up to that is so charged and tense. So with like, charged. Oh, yeah. It starts with Draco and the kids having this, like, back and forth, and then it leads into Arthur and, and Lucius. And then Lucius insults Ginny, just straight mm-hmm. up. This entire, like, this chapter is so laced with commentary on the Weasleys' economic status. Mm-hmm. Like every economic other. status, which they don't need to have if you have any 
internal logic in your magical system. But like every other paragraph, it feels like there's some reminder. Like when they go to Gringotts, when they're here at the bookstore. Also, Harry, this is a, a thing that's very frustrating and is mentioned in the fandom, is like, at one point, Harry does try to give the Weasleys money, and there's like a subplot having to do with who takes it. But the way that it's described here, where they go into Gringotts and Harry is... He's embarrassed by his wealth. Yeah. Yeah, there was a very... So this is the Weasley's vault. There was a very small pile. This is page 57 on the American edition. There was a very small pile of silver sickles inside and just one gold galleon. Mrs. Weasley felt right into the corners before sweeping the whole lot into her bag. Harry felt even worse than they reached his vault. He tried to block the contents from view as he hastily stowed handfuls of coins into a leather bag. Yeah. Boy. To be fair, he is only 12 and only just got this fortune. So. Yeah. Like... He does buy ice cream for Ron and Hermione, and he does give his free books to Ginny. Mm-hmm. Or at least tries to give his free books to Ginny. But, like, he's not going above and beyond. And he could. And he could. And it would be in character for him, too. Yeah. But he's just not thinking about it. Speaking of what idiots 11, 12-year-olds are. <laughs> Should we... Move on to chapter five. The Whomping Willow. The Whomping Willow. Um, <laughs> I love the enchanted car that fits like 10 everybody. people. Um, I love the description of everybody trying to get out of the Weasley's house. Yes. Oh, I yeah. love that whole section. It is such a relatable. I had my best friend's family when I was a kid. They had uh, five children. And we're a homeschooling family and a, like, a, and a very, like, a very Weasley-type family in which, like, nobody can keep track of everything. Like, they're mm-hmm. a wonderful family, but they were very disorganized. They would be half an hour late to events that were across the street from their house. And, and this family just made me think completely of them. Like, this scene where they're all trying to get out of the house and they have to go back, like, three times for things they forgot. Can I read please please um i won't read the whole thing i'll read the one paragraph and then the second paragraph where they're still running back to get things so on page 53 and 54 of the british edition uh, it took a long while to get started next morning they were up at cock crow but somehow they still seemed to have a great deal to do Miss- mrs weasley dashed about in a bad mood looking for spare socks and quills people kept colliding on the stairs half dressed with bis- bits of toast in their hands and Mr. Weasley nearly broke his neck, tripping over a stray chicken as he crossed the, the yard carrying Ginny's trunk to the car. Yeah, skip to Mr. Weasley. Mr. Weasley started up the engine and they trundled out of the yard, Harry turning back for a last look at the house. He barely had time to wonder when he'd see it again. When they were back, George had forgotten his box of filibuster fireworks. Five minutes after that, they skidded, skidded to a halt in the yard so that Fred could run in for his broomstick. They had almost reached the motorway when Ginny shrieked that she'd left her diary. By the time she had clambered back into the car, they were running very late, and tempers were running high. And Mr. Weasley tries to get, yeah, to convince Mrs. Weasley to be like, we should just fucking fly, yeah. Uh, and she's like, no, absolutely not. And we get the foreshadowing of this is what they're going to use yeah. in two pages when they get locked out of the train station. <laughs> and of course, we get a very quick uh, checkoffs moment here, where um, I'll take the Ginny and the two of you come right after us," said Mrs. Weasley, and then mm-hmm. immediately. They get locked out. Yep. Um, and they can't make it through the barrier. E, do you, do you have a guess? Do you have a theory why they can't get through? My, my only guess would have been timing, but I have a feeling that's not it. <laughs> it's a good guess. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, well, I guess if we can't get in, then nobody can get out. So I guess we have to fly to school instead of asking for help. Yeah. Or yeah. Like, like, <laughs> we have owls. We, we must we go to owl. the most drastic measure available immediately ron says what are we going to do i don't know how long it'll take mom and dad to get back to us and that i guess is implying that the barrier is locked in both directions which i feel like would immediately cause chaos yeah there's no way that that's true right but that's what they immediately imagine i also think that ron probably was like like as they were driving there he was probably wishing that his dad was allowed to drive to fly the car oh yeah and so he already had that idea in his head Oh, 100%. So when he just happened, flew to get Harry, like, well, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, that's just what they were thinking about. Yeah, I do think that um, Harry is the smart one here, uh, being a, a muggle. 
or Muggle raised rather, I mm-hmm. think we'd better go and wait by the car. That yeah. is the correct thing to do. And then fucking yes. stay there. It's not like the Weasleys are going <laughs> to leave the car in London and apparate home. Like they need the car. Go wait yeah. by the car. Yeah. Like the they, car. Arthur and Molly aren't getting on the train. Like they're just going to come right back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, they both forget that Harry has a fucking owl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, if they had been logical, they would have gone and waited by the car. I waited like 10 minutes. But they're 12 and idiots, so. <laughs> so, they so they're like, let's drive this car. So they, also, yeah, Ron so has not driven the car before because it was, the, it was the twins that were driving the car before. So Ron doesn't. Ron is just like, yeah, of course I can drive. Yeah. So they drive at car speed from London to northern Scotland. I think they're driving fly. They're driving at train speed. Yeah. But yeah. that's still all day. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all they've had to eat is a pack of toffees and there's no water. And it's hot in the sun. And they're above the clouds, so it's... Which almost- makes no sense as to why it would be hot, by the way. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just, so one of the things that I wanted to touch on in this chapter is um, the popularity aspect. Um, but they are dreaming of the prospect of seeing Fred and George's faces, yes. jealous yes. faces, yes. right? Like... Mm-hmm. As they land smoothly and spectacularly on the sweeping lawn, which of course is not what happens, but <laughs> they think they're gonna be big shit for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which they are sort of. And then they crash into this uh, sentient tree with a sentient car, and the wand <laughs> breaks. And the wand breaks. But actually, my favorite part of this is the the car. However, had reached the end of its tether. With two sharp clunks, the doors flew open, and Harry felt his seat tip sideways. <laughs> Next thing he knew, he was sprawled on the damp ground. Mud thuds told him the car was ejecting the luggage from the trunk. Hedwig's cage flew through the air and burst open. She rose out of it with an angry screech and sped off towards the castle without a backward look. Then, dented, scratched, and steaming, the car rumbled off into darkness, its rear lights blazing angrily. And that's how you know that the car is sentient. <laughs> Remember that moment. And Hedwig just leaves. Hedwig's just like, fuck this. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, so they make it to... They're just looking in the window. Like, they don't even try the doors. Uh, The sorting ceremony is already underway. Yeah, so we don't get a sorting song this book. That's right. We also don't get an unnecessary list of student names. (laughs) We don't, that's true. (laughs) But we do get to see one student being sorted. We do. Yes. And it's like, it's a very cute moment because in the end, you get to see who that student is later. Mm-hmm. Yes, it matters. This is Colin Creevy, who was so cute. A small, mousy-haired boy had call- been called forward to place the hat on his head. He's a good boy. That's Colin Creevy. There's a very succinct introduction of Snape. Professor Severus Snape was Harry's least favorite teacher. Harry also happened to be Snape's least favorite student. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cruel, sarcastic, and disliked by everyone except the students from his own house, Slytherin. Snape taught potions. Thank you for this two-sentence exposition. <laughs> like, tiny Wikipedia entry. So they go to Snape's office. He's waiting for them, I guess. He's definitely laying in wait. I guess he had already heard about the car. Yeah. Because news travels faster than trains. I'm imagining yeah. that there was, like, some sort of staff meeting before the the opening feast and they were like well McGonagall has to do the sorting ceremony and Dumbledore has to do their be there to be the speech do the speech so someone has to wait for these idiots and then Snape volunteered because it's Snape and wants to be the yeah I was wondering why it wasn't McGonagall waiting because she has to do the sorting ceremony that makes sense I do enjoy McGonagall through this whole thing so McGonagall is angrier than ever but there's and Dumbledore is like is doing the like I'm not angry I'm disappointed routine yes. very effectively. There's a great moment where um, Professor McGonagall says, and speaking of Gryffindor, Professor McGonagall said sharply, but Harry cut in, Professor, when we took the car, it hadn't started, so so Gryffindor shouldn't really have points taken from it, should it? <laughs> and Professor McGonagall gave him a piercing look, but he was sure that she had almost smiled. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> you, sometimes you forget how much of a Gryffindor she really is, yeah. right? Like, that's yeah. part of her whole oh, yeah. thing, is that, like... Yeah, what was I going to say? Um, I think there is a time later in another book where they do lose points before the school oh, year yes. starts. Is it <laughs> but I can't five? remember when. Can't remember. They lose a lot of points, like, right before this, it starts, and everyone's like, what happened? Um, anyway. 
She does also, also make sure they get to eat and eat plenty. A never-ending sandwich platter. Which doesn't break the Gamps law because it's coming from the kitchens. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, McGonagall often, whenever she has to have meetings with students, she will feed them. Yes. <laughs> yes. In a very hilarious way. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention when Dumbledore is being disappointed and Harry's internal thoughts say it would have been better if he had shouted, which I think is literally the same line that happens in book six, possibly? I think it's book five. It's book five. I know the section you're talking about, yeah. It's when they're, Dumbledore's not making eye contact. Okay, I think we're thinking about different times, oh, but okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Harry prefers uh, shouting to disappointment because that is yeah. what he is used to. Uh, speaking of shouting and uh, popularity. <laughs> they make it to the Gryffindor common room. Tower, yeah. And there's a party going on. They are like really being congratulated for being dumbasses in a way yes. that oh, yeah. is very Gryffindorian. And not just the kids, like all the way through the the fifth years. and Yeah. Although not Percy. Um, <laughs> um, Percy's tired of Ron's shit. We should talk about the Howler. So moving on to <laughs> chapter six. Chapter six. The Howler, I think, is my favorite magical object so far in it's this great. series. <laughs> it is an inspired bit <laughs> of a world building. It is an inspired bit of world building, and um, Neville's reaction to the Howler, I think, is great. The fact that his grand mm -hmm. has sent him one before yes. that, like, maybe we didn't see or maybe it was at, like, I don't know, summer camp or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's great. You'd better open it, Ron, said Neville in a timid whisper. It'll be worse if you don't. My grand sent me one worse, once and I ignored it and he gulped. It was horrible. Which I imagine <laughs> means that, like, howlers get, like, multiple messages recorded and they, like, increase or, like, burn things or whatever. Like, I imagine that it's a very Well, like, cool we know spell. we know from later that if you don't open it, it will just, it will bur burst into flame. Yeah. <laughs> imagine every time you sent an angry email, it was... <laughs> it would just yell at the person. Shouting. <laughs> Stealing the car! I wouldn't have been surprised if uh, they expelled you! I was gonna mention, I forgot to mention this before, there's two voices that when I read them, it ju I just literally just hear the movie... Yeah, this is, is a good moment. This, is, this one, and then the other one is Lucius Malfoy's voice whenever he's oh, talking. Yes, that actually did an incredible job. Directly, yeah. There is a tiny bit in here, which is that Molly Weasley still does not blame Harry for anything. Yeah. <laughs> you and Harry could have both died. Harry had been wondering when his name was going to crop up. He, he, no, yeah. hang on. He tried very hard to look as though he couldn't hear the voice that was absolutely <laughs> making his eardrops throb. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just ignore it and it'll go away. She's not yelling at Harry at all. She's not yeah. yelling at Harry, no. Even though um, it was entirely, like, half his fault. And another moment where she does a really great job with the sort of feeling, because she describes the way that, like, silence sort of rolls and then, like, people start babbling again, right? A ringing silence fell. The red envelope, which had dropped from Ron's hand, burst into flames and curled into ashes. Harry and Ron sat stunned though a tidal, as though a tidal wave had just passed over them. A few people laughed and gradually a babble of talk broke out again. Like, that is exactly what happens when something like this happens. Like, it's oh, just absolutely. a really good... Hey, so you actually meet Professor Sprout. Yeah, this was in yeah. the quiz from the last book, but we didn't actually <laughs> get to meet Professor yes. Sprout until now. This is one of the professors I did not know. I love all, I know we, we don't get very many herbology lessons, but we get quite, like... We get a lot in this book, specifically. I like the descriptions of herbology lessons. Yeah, we get a, another appearance of Lockhart, who is supposedly teaching Sprout... Yep. How mm -hmm. to take First care time of the See him world. at school, he's annoying other teachers he's already. Mansplaining. <laughs> yep. He's mansplaining. He's mansplaining to the highest degree because he has not done any work. Can I get, read the description of Professor Sprout? Professor Sprout was a squat little witch who wore a patched hat over her flyaway hair. There was usually a large amount of earth on her clothes, and her fingernails would have made Aunt Petunia faint. Gildory Lockhart, on the however, was immaculate in sweeping robes of turquoise, his golden hair shining under a perfectly positioned turquoise hat with gold trimming. Clearly he was not doing any of the work. Nope. Oh, clearly. <laughs> yes, I just happened to have met several of these plants on my travels. 
And then, um, and then Lockhart pulls Harry aside for oh, his God. first little lesson on how to be famous. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, like... The way he talks is so condescending and annoying and infuriating. It is. I love that Harry can't focus on anything but his teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really good detail. It was remarkable how he could show every one of those brilliant teeth even when he wasn't talking. Um, Harry stood stunned for a few seconds then, remembering he was supposed to be in the greenhouse, opened the door and slid inside. Like, there's just like a, a moment where you just like don't know what's happening when yeah, you're around Lockhart. Yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. It's just like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so this is where I wanted to talk briefly about like medieval science being magical. Because yeah. Mandrake Groot is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they look like little people. Like, if you pull up a mandrake root, it often looks like it has little legs and arms. Like, they're not literally people, but they are really... They're easily anthropomorphized. Yes. Yes. Um, Which is why it makes sense that J.K.R. has, like, taken taken that and, and, like... commonly used in magical mythology as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. invent this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. But I think it's really interesting. I think it's in the um, Hebrew Bible... Yeah, it is. It's just one of those things that's like, I find it really fascinating. She butchers this a lot of the time with a lot of cultures, but there are a few things that I think she does a good job and gets right. And one of them, I think, is the Mandrakes, which um, I'll post a picture of the American edition illustration for Mandrakes when we post this episode. (laughs) It's uh, very hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a baby. It's just a baby. Um, I think they do a good job in the movie of this scene as well. Um, We meet. Justin Flinch Fletchley. <laughs> Another what name that's very hard to say. Finch Fletchley. Yes. Finch Fletchley. Uh, <laughs> e, this name should mean nothing to you, but you should keep the name in mind. Okay. It's a good name. I'll, I'll it's a good name. I'll try and remember it. I'm pretty sure um, so far we've all said Flinch Fletchley every time. Oh, fine. Finch yeah. Fletch- Finch Fletchley. Finch Fletchley. Uh, there's a very funny moment um, that I just think is very cute that says, they squirmed, kicked, flailed their sharp little fists. This is about the mandrakes and gnashed their teeth, Harry spent a whole ten minutes trying to squash a particularly fat one into a pot. And I know we've talked about fat phobia before, but fat babies are very cute. And I, fat babies um, are adorable. I deeply enjoy the image of Harry trying to squish like a fat plant I'm baby into a pot. I'm trying to imagine the, the experience of covering a baby in dirt. Yeah, see, it, that's why in movies it's like, they look a lot more like plants than babies. Like they look like <laughs> Like, they don't really look like babies in the movie. Yeah, because I cannot imagine <laughs> yeah. putting a baby in a flower pot and then covering Covered. it with dirt. We get a transfiguration class. Not very long and not very good. Not very long and bad for Ron. Who won't write home to ask for another wand because he's afraid of a howler, but also... Yeah. Um, they can't afford it. We know that a wand costs seven galleons, and they yeah. just pulled their last galleon out of their... their yeah, like, thing. they literally can't afford it. Yeah. But this is something that Ron says in book four, is he's stabbing a potato, and he kind of glares at it and goes, I hate being poor. Mm-hmm. So this is something that you should keep in mind. Like, this is something that comes up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a thing that bugs Ron a lot. More than I would say anyone else in his family, I think. Like, yeah. Ron's the one affected by it the most and that's you know i feel that i have felt that i will say on the other end of the spectrum of uh world building spello tape <laughs> is yeah i mean all right see i didn't know that cello tape was a thing uh, <laughs> when i read it so i was like oh that's just what it is and now whenever i see the word cello tape i'm like oh it's just a tape <laughs> <laughs> i also probably would not have known the word cello tape when i was or whatever um why demanded ron seizing her schedule have you outlined all lockhart's lessons in little parts i love hermione (laughs) (laughs) okay for real though i love that she's not just the bratty smart one yeah she's also just a teen Mm -hmm. yeah she's like 12 year old girl yeah she's also just a 12 year old who sometimes you know idolizes people yeah it happens Yes, we do meet Colin Creevy for realsies, not just in the sorting ceremony. He has a normal camera. He has a normal, a normal camera. Film camera. Yep. As you would have um, in, in 1990-whatever. And he's going to develop it in special fluid to make it move. Which I guess is just how they do it. I don't know. There's a potion. I yeah, see. I mean, like, I don't know how other 
moving paintings and such get made, but that certainly must be part of it. Paintings, I think, are different than photos, but... Paintings are different than photos, and I suspect that there are wizarding cameras where, like, the potion is maybe in the film or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm, Interesting. Not mentioned on the technology Um, page, but... Not mentioned on the technology page. So Colin has this wonderful little introduction. It's brilliant here, isn't it? I never knew all the odd stuff I could do was magic till I got the letter from Hogwarts. My dad's a milkman. He couldn't believe it either. Uh, So I'm (laughs) taking loads of pictures to send home to him. It'd be really good if I had one of you. Maybe your friend could take it and I could stand stand next to you and then you could sign it. (laughs) What a sweetie. Like, he's only at most... A year younger than Harry. Yeah. But. Yes. Just a baby. He's just a baby. And then Draco shows up to (laughs) make fun of Harry through making fun of what Creepy was asking for. Yeah. And then Lockhart. Lockhart shows up (laughs) and makes it worse. (laughs) Lockhart has has an amazing habit of just making things worse. Yeah. It just keeps getting worse. We get to see the photo that they take later. And it's, it's great. great. Um, it's oh so good. That in mind. <laughs> then Can we, we talk have... about this fucking quiz? I was just going <laughs> to say. God. Can we talk about this lesson <laughs> with Lockhart? I, okay, so in the in the edition I'm reading, the quiz starts at the bottom of the page. Yep, same. So it says, Harry looked down at his paper and read. And then there's one, two, yep. three. And then there's a page turn. Oh. So I thought that it was just going to be one, two, three. Or like... <laughs> Oh, Maybe that's a good page turn placement. It's an extremely good page turn because then you turn the page and it says on and on it went to 54. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a good page Would you like break. to read the questions, E? Sure. Um, so they go to their first Defense Against the Dark Arts class uh, and Gilderoy Lockhart immediately gives them out a quiz to see if they did their summer reading. Harry looked down at his paper and read, one, what is Gilderoy Lockhart's favorite color? Two, what is Gilderoy Lockhart's secret ambition? Three, what, in your opinion, is Gilderoy Lockhart's greatest achievement to date? On and on it went, over three sides of paper, right down to 54. When is Gilderoy Lockhart's birthday, and what would his ideal gift be? And it takes them half an hour. And Hermione gets 100%. Yeah, it's like, who gets perfect? Hermione. Uh, I just, yeah. I just, I'm oh sure God. I'm supposed to, but I really hate this guy. You mm-hmm. are supposed to. You are supposed to. <laughs> Good job. Um, and then he uh, releases freshly caught Cornish pixies into the room, and his and spell doesn't work, you. which I w- fucking love. Pesky pixie. Pesternomy. <laughs> Pesky uh, pixie pesternomy. It sounds like an f- Italian, like, it does. Dish. <laughs> I just thought of this. <laughs> did you just get that? I only just did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that the the way that the movie shows Kenneth Branagh doing this moment is one of the best things they've ever done. Yes, agreed. I think it's so good. With the little swishes and he's just yeah, like... Yeah, and he's, he's just so happy and then it doesn't work and he dives under his desk. It's great. And then he shuts Harry, Ron, and Hermione in to deal uh-huh. with him, Which is yeah, not difficult. Yeah, and like they don't even have another class. He doesn't even know. Yeah. And it's not difficult because Hermione immediately does it. Hands yeah. on, said Harry, who was trying to grab a pixie <laughs> dancing out of reach with his tongue out. Hermione, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Um, it's great. And that's... And that's the chapters that we read. The uh, title of the next chapter is a bit a bit foreboding. Mudbloods and Murmurs. Mm-hmm. We're getting into it now. Yeah, we are getting into it. Um, and the chapter art for chapter seven is uh, Ron throwing up slugs into a ah, big excellent. barrel. <laughs> So that's something to look forward to. So we move on to Pottermore to, things. Yeah, two short Pottermore pages um, that fit with this with these chapters. Uh, one on platform nine and three quarters, which I actually quite like that page, and one on technology, which has like negative information. Yeah, I do really like the nine and three quarters page. This is yeah, very cute. it's cute. Um, I like it's that just one one and a quarter paragraph yeah. by JKR. Like, it's a good expansion on the idea is that, like, nine and three quarters will take you to Hogwarts, but, like, I don't know. What does it say? Like, ten and a half will take yeah. you to Seven different places? Seven and a half will take you to... Somewhere in Europe. Does that mean that there are different trains at all those platforms? But I guess the Hogwarts train is only used 
four times a year. So maybe that train is used for everything else too. But so Harry never goes home for Christmas. Christmas and Easter. So I don't know how students get around for those two. I think they take the train. I would have assumed that they take the train. Yeah. Um, I like this sentence at the end. The number nine and three quarters presented itself without much conscious thought. And I liked it so much that I took it at once. It is the three quarters that makes it, of course. <laughs> yes, this is the same good writing that you see when she's talking about McGonagall's name. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, of course. This was a yeah. little note, and that's it. <laughs> the technology page is, like, similarly frivolous and cute, um, even though it has even less information. You know what? I just realized that the way that her, the JKR's thoughts happens, it feels like she's answering an interview question. Like someone asked her this and she's answering it and that's it. Yeah. It's good though. Yeah. The technology page is more in the like wiki style of writing. It's fine. I do enjoy the fact that like she acknowledges that the people who like issue all muggle things still have like a secret Mm -hmm. love for (laughs) fancy cars and stuff. cars, yeah. 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 And that Sirius's motorbike, which he'll encounter later, but is also the thing that Hagrid rode to deliver Harry, is like an example of like teenage rebellion using Muggle technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also on the technology page, we have the return of Mordecai's egg. Mordecai's egg, egg is back. He has Professor returned. Egg. If JKR wrote the philosophy of the mundane, why Muggles prefer to know not by er, bleh, by Mordecai's egg, I would read that. I would read that. <laughs> Very I good. just want a book by Mordecai's Egg. Yeah. <laughs> Mordecai's Egg. I do like the little nonsense tidbit here that they tried to start a British yes. wizarding broadcasting yeah. corporation. Okay, here's my question. Why would muggles think they're hallucinating if they see magical things on TV? We have special effects. They had <laughs> Doctor Who already. Yeah. <laughs> I like, guess because the special effects would be too good. I don't know. I don't know. I do. I, I also thought it was funny that like muggles who listen to basically NPR and the BBC on the radio are like more tolerant and whatever, whatever. Like, <laughs> they just don't care. It's interesting that muggle or that wizards have embraced cars and did pretty like pretty early on in like as cars yeah. were becoming more popular in the muggle world, whereas they still haven't embraced like pens and notebooks and and, yeah, like, electricity, like lights. It's very strange the like specificity of like I guess cars were the thing that they could not do without. You find out in book four that too much magic makes electricity stop working. Yes, that is true mm. for electricity, but pens and paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess Why it's are like you using parchment. The Wizarding World's philosophy seems to be: if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and transportation broke. It was broke. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they had to steal a train, as we read, and yes. everybody has a car. But things like writing, you can still do with a quill. And they do have an alloy, so maybe they use owl quills a lot. Who knows? But I guess yeah, they buy their own true. quills. And, they and mostly stuff. buy their quills, and it's like peacock yeah. quills, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fancy, Fancy quills ones. if you're rich. Sugar quills. <laughs> Spell-checking quills, etc. These are very much chapters and Pottermore pages that are like ramp-up and filler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And we're going to get down and dirty in the next three chapters. Mudbloods yes. and Murmurs, Death Day Party, and Writing on the Wall. Yes. Big yeah. things happening. Like, really big things happening. Mm-hmm. I have a random question. Yeah. yeah. How do the Malfoys travel? Because there's a line at the end of this Pottermore page that says, The most extreme anti-muggles eschew all motorized transport. Yeah. We, I don't think we ever see how they travel. We see them around, around... They obviously yeah. traveled places. They probably apparate most places. I don't they know. They probably apparate and they side along with Draco. Yeah. They use flu to like renowned wizarding locations, right? Mm-hmm. Just imagine hating people so much that you refuse to do things in a convenient way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do think that they would be one of those. That would have a fancy car in their garage? Yeah. Yes. They totally Agreed. would. And like, in the carriage house, they've got, like, a 1930 Bentley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they've had since 1930. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's and, like, it just doesn't have an engine anymore. It's just got, like, it's run, it runs on magic. Or they've just, like, they've used it, like, three times. So it's still fine. Yeah. They're also, like, a lot of, all of the cars that are mentioned 
that wizards use have been modified into magical vehicles yes. like the Ford Anglia and the the Ministry of Magic's car fleet of cars which you'll uh, see at the beginning of book 3 yes uh, and then you'll also see another important vehicle at the beginning of book 3 yeah do we have any more overarching thoughts from these chapters or no i mean like zoe said this is sort of a filler mhm I mean, we're we're sort of moving the plot along while relatively insignificant things happening. You know, reintroducing the Malfoys, reintroducing all the professors and the other students. It definitely feels like the lead-in for more important stuff to start happening, which I'm sure that it will. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell that right away because, again, the chapter that's coming up next is mudbloods and murmurs and then the death day party and then the writing on the wall these are portentous names just to close out this episode as a as a i don't know prediction for next one do you have you heard in the zeitgeist mudblood and do you know what it is oh yeah i was gonna ask that too i have heard it like absolutely i i have heard that word i think that if you had asked me before i would have just said that it was a synonym for muggle my guess at the moment is that it is somebody of a quote-unquote pureblood family who stops being a pureblood hmm. okay mm. that's a good prediction i was just wondering um yeah uh you find I out pretty early on in the chapter yeah um but we will not spoil it you'll have to read it yourself all right you want to close this out yeah uh, <laughs> we all thoughts left in my brain instantly. Oh my gosh. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Potternot. You can find the show on Twitter and Tumblr at Potternot. You can find me on Twitter at CEL10E, as well as on Twitch, where I am starting to stream again. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z, and buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore, well as on YouTube at Aredel Grace. You can find more music by Morgan Jackson, who did the wonderful theme for this show, at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, Craig. Also, bye, Craig. Bye, everyone. Bye, Craig. Specifically, goodbye. Bye bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Leave now, Craig. Leave now. Never, never come back.